0: That's Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wall. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more.
1: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data Here's the 2-0 pitch. Cruz launches one deep left field down the line toward the Western Metal Supply Company building and it's gone. Oh my goodness. What a clout by Nelson Cruz. Career homer number 459 makes it 1-0 Nationals. Now the 2-1. Swing a high drive deep right field, slicing toward the corner. It's way back there and it is gone. Josh Bell has done it again. Just over the fence, down the right field line at the 3.22 mark, and the Padres
0: have seized momentum, and they have seized the lead. It's 2-1, to one. and this crowd is delirious. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, August twenty second, two 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Petco Park in San Diego. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It is now official. The Nats have a third consecutive losing season. Uh, they on Sunday fell to a major league worst 41-82. and 82. So that guarantees a losing record in the 162-game season, 2-1 loss at the Padres in Game 4 of a four-game series. Nats were competitive in this series. Each of their two losses was a 2-1 loss. The Nats pitching in the series, especially the bullpen, ended up being quite good. Mark, the Nats in this series allowed a total of eight runs and yet came away with just the four-game split. We get that the offense is quite bad these days and, in fact, has been further depleted in recent days with the absences of Luke Voigt and Yadio Hernandez. But boy, how many people expected that going into the series? The Nats, over the four games, would allow a mere eight runs.
2: I'll even take it a step farther, Al. The last seven games, when you count the Cubs series prior to this one, Nats pitching staff 2.86 ERA. That's over a full week. They haven't had a week like that all year long. That's probably haven't had a week like that since 2019 to be honest. And then the frustrating part is, as good as the pitching was, they went three and four over the last week because they're just not hitting. 23 runs scored over their last seven games. Unfortunately, when you're putting a lineup out there like they have at this point, no Juan Soto, no Josh Bell, no Luke Voigt, no Yadiel Hernandez. Caber Ruiz got the day off, which he certainly deserved, given all that he has caught and the pounding he's taken behind the plate. I mean, this is what you're left with, where legitimately Nelson Cruz was the most dangerous threat they had in the lineup on Sunday, and he made him pay for it, but that's The only thing that happened good in this game offensively and frustrating. But, you know, I think you take a step back and you say they're playing competitive baseball right now. And if you keep getting halfway decent pitching, you're going to have a chance at least. So that's a significant step forward, I would say, in the bigger picture.
0: Yeah. I mean, the Nats should not be ashamed of what they did over four games at the Padres. Now, yes, that is loser talk. And, you know, hey, this just in the Nats are a losing team. This season, but you know, you don't know what to expect going into these series. I mean, you know that the Nats could get destroyed in some of these series. We have seen the Nats get destroyed in series this season. And since the trade deadline, you know, you're kind of like bracing yourself for okay, how ugly might things get? At least right now, things aren't as bad as they could be. You know, we'll see what transpires over the final month plus of the season. We on Sunday night had some Nats news. Uh, We learned that the Nats and Philadelphia Phillies will play in next year's Little League Classic in Williamsport. Pennsylvania. We on Sunday night had this year's Little League Classic in Williamsport, Orioles and the Boston Red Sox. Now, look, there are the obvious jokes of the Nats playing in the Little League Classic and, uh, you know, Little League Team, Little League Classic, etc. But this is a pretty cool thing that MLB does. And, um, You know, I don't know what MLB was anticipating when identifying the Nats as a team for next year's Classic, but I think this will be something to look forward to next year. The Nats playing in one of the most unique settings any MLB team is in over the course of the season.
2: Yeah. So let's start with this. It is a really cool event. It started in 2017. They've done it every year other than 2020. It's a one-day thing. It's a home series that the Nats will have against the Phillies. And then they'll play Saturday, either afternoon or evening in D.C., and then both teams will just go to Williamsport for the day. That's it. They will spend the afternoon at the actual Little League World Series, meeting the players, catching at least one of the games there. And then they'll go to the minor league field that's not far from there, where the Williamsport crosscutters play. The stadium was built in 1926, second oldest stadium in the minor leagues, only holds about 2,300 fans. Very small, not the kind of thing you see for a major league regular season game. And a good number of the attendees of that game are the little leaguers themselves. So a very cool, truly unique setting to do this. And look, this will be by then the 19th season of Nationals baseball in Washington, D.C. And this will be the first time that they appear in a neutral site regular season game, one of MLB's sort of marquee events. They have not been chosen for any international games, not been chosen for the Field of Dreams game. For now, this is the first one that they will have been in. And it's unfortunate that it would happen at this point in the franchise's history. You would have liked for them to be in one of these things when they had all the star players here. But still a very cool thing for the organization and for whoever makes up next year's roster. That's going to be a fun event for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talk about scripting this. I mean, you had eight straight winning seasons for the Nats. You had five playoff seasons for the Nats. You, of course, had a World Series championship team for the Nats. Not a single one of those teams gets selected to be under the national spotlight in terms of a neutral site game. And now that the Nats are at, you know, pretty much the lowest point you can be at as a major league team, now they get selected for this. Like, boy, that's uh, not exactly optimal timing on MLB's part.
2: It's not. They try to spread these things around. and You would think that you would want to do it ideally when they have marquee names. I do believe that this was actually selected prior to the trade deadline. So maybe they were still holding out hope that they could tout this as a Juan Soto versus Bryce Harper matchup next year. That will not be the case. But I look at it this way also. People are going to watch that game no matter who's playing in it. You know, it's kind of like the winter classic in the NHL, like the Field of Dreams game, which I think is one of the best things MLB has done in a long time. It's the venue. It's the unique nature of it. It's less about what teams are playing in it. So I'm glad the Nats are finally in one of these things. I've been holding out hope for one of those international games, London or even Paris in a few years. Maybe there's still hope for that at some point. But I I think it's good for them. And, you know, I don't care what the team's record is or what kind of organization they are at a time. You're still a Major League Baseball team in the nation's capital. You should be a marquee franchise. You should be treated like that more than some other ones. So I'm glad to see them getting at least recognized in some capacity for that. Now, it's also notable they're going to lose a home gate for this. And you would think even though the game's closer to Philadelphia and Williamsport, it will be a Nationals home game. So they will only have 80 games scheduled at Nationals Park next season. I have no idea for everybody who's already wondering, how do you get tickets? I have no idea how this works. I have no idea if it's actually open to fans or season ticket holders. It's a very small crowd. And like I said, a lot of them go to the Little Leaguers themselves. So stay tuned for all the info on that. This may just be a made-for-TV event. It may not be the kind of thing that a lot of people get to attend in person.
0: Yeah, and you know what? Who knows? I mean, with new ownership coming in, maybe the Nats next season are back to being good or back to being, you know, a premier team in terms of having some stars on the team. I mean, we don't know. So much has changed over the last twelve months with this team. Who's to say twelve months from now things aren't appreciably different? Like, we really don't know. That that is the one sort of carrot that is dangling in front of all of us is Nationals fans and observers, this looming ownership change and what that could mean. And so I know for me, like following the team, that is something that offers hope and excitement of we don't know what's going to happen after this season. And so who knows what's going to happen in the offseason? And so who knows where we are at next season? You know, I, I think the only thing that's for sure right now is that nothing's for sure. We don't know where things are going to be at.
2: Yeah, you're right. And there's, there's no telling who could be on the team next year. Maybe there's somebody we've never even considered who's a big name that could be on it. But even if not, there's a decent chance that the starting pitcher for that game on August 20th, 2023 is Kate Cavalli or Mackenzie Gore or Josiah Gray. You could have a lineup that includes Luis Garcia, C.J. Abrams. Maybe one of the other kids will be ready by then. Robert Hassel, who I realized actually has played in the Little League World Series. That would be very cool. I don't know if he'll be ready quite by then to make his major league debut, but there is the possibility there of some kind of juice for it with the young players. The other thing, I was thinking this earlier in the week in the Nats clubhouse, and you see this this time of year, these guys watch the Little League World Series. They watch it and they get into these games. And I always think it's such a cool idea that big league players can be captivated by 12 year olds playing baseball they remark on it just the way anybody else would. They're really into it. And I know as exciting as it's going to be for the kids to meet these players next year, I think the Nats players themselves are going to be excited to actually go to the Little League World Series and meet those kids and watch that game in person.
0: Yeah. If you were on social media on Sunday, there was great footage of Orioles players sliding down hills on these like cardboard sleds with the Little League players. And you had, you know, these 20-something-year-old Orioles players acting like they were, you know, 10 again and, you know, having a great time with the kids. So, yeah, I mean, you have terrific interaction. So, it'll be cool. It'll be fun. I'm glad that the Nats got chosen for this. So, with this game on Sunday uh, for the Nats at the Padres, this 2-1 loss, you know, it's so funny what will pop up over the course of these Nats games these days. You know, we've spent a good bit of time this season, right, talking about, you know, Nelson Cruz, disappointing season, not hitting for power, etc., And as we're discussing the Nats being in the Little League Classic next year, we had Nelson Cruz on Sunday dialing back the clock. And, like, if you're unfamiliar with the work of Nelson Cruz and, like, what he was at his peak, which, you know, wasn't that long ago, you saw it on Sunday. Nelson Cruz on Sunday launched a mammoth home run, one of the biggest homers for the Nats this season, just in terms of distance and just awe-inspiring nature. Uh, Cruz in an Nats one-run fourth, a one-out solo homer on a bomb to left field for a one nothing Nats lead. 440 feet per stat cast. It looked like it went about 800 feet in watching the game. You know, like I said, Nelson Cruz, it's been a disappointing year. There was only his 10th home run of the season. He's only slugging 354 on the season. But, I mean, you look at the guy, he's still a big guy. We know that he takes great care of himself. And if he can get a hold of one, and that's a big if these days, but if he can, he still has a lot of might and a lot of mass behind that swing. That was some shot that Nelson Cruz delivered on Sunday.
2: That was the best that he's hit a ball all year. And I could argue that's the best any national has hit a ball in a game this year. It was an explosion off the bat. There was no need to even watch it, although everyone wanted to watch to see how far it was going to fly. But that was one of those, you just had to hear it and you knew exactly what had just happened. The ball ricochets off the letter N on the Western Metal Supply Company sign atop a four-story building and ricochets down. I don't think the TV cameras were able to keep up with it because it was just in an area they don't ever expect to see a ball hit to. So yeah, even at age 42, you get the right pitch, you get the right contact and elevation on it he can do that you know i saw a stat the other day he's still got one of the highest exit velocities in baseball on average problem is he's still hitting him on the ground a lot or he's not making contact at all and he's been late you know swinging through striking out things like that but he does still have that ability it doesn't happen often to do that that was his 10th homer of the year i'll say this The last few weeks, he has started to hit a little bit better. We've seen better stuff from him. Certainly not what they ever expected from him. It's certainly way too little, way too late, way past the trade deadline. They can't do anything about it. But right now, given the state of the lineup, they actually kind of need him. If they're trying to win games, and I think they are trying to win games, they need him because there is very little else currently in the lineup with any kind of track record. The other guys hitting around him in the middle of the order are guys like Joey Manessis, Lane Thomas. Alex Call, these are not established big leaguers, middle of the order guys, the way Nelson Cruz is. So, yeah, it would have been better if he did this earlier in the year and they could have traded him, but he's here now for the rest of the year. Might as well get as much as you can out of him the rest of the way.
0: Nats on Sunday with just the one run. So, the Nelson Cruz homer was it for the Nats offense. Uh, Seven hits for the game, the Cruz homer. He had a pinch double by Kate Burt Ruiz, and then he had five singles. He had no walks for the Nats in the game. The team totaled six strikeouts, went one for four with runners in scoring position. I mean, just not a lot happening offensively. I mean, Alex Call was an ad starting left fielder in each of the final three games of the series. He was an ad's number one or number two batter in each of the final three games. I mean, it just tells you so much about the state of this offense. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back to school sale. And what a sale this is. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit WindowNation.com or call 866-90 Nation and tell WindowNation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with new energy efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A plus in savings by taking advantage of the back to school sale. Again, Two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. And Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit windownation.com or call 866 90 Nation and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the back to school sale. Again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window. From Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2025. That's Windownation.com or 86690Nation, Windownation.com or 86690Nation, and tell Windownation that Al Galdi sent Essentia.
1: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
0: Mania
1: with the wine of the O-1. Swinging so a long drive left field. This is deep profile looking back, and it is off the top of the wall. Manessis rounding first, trying for second. The
0: throw in on two bounces, and he is out on a diving tag by Drury. Joey Manessis. So the craze of him hitting home runs has slowed down, as the craze was bound to slow down. He did, though, have four hits in the series. We talked about Joey a bit on the last installment of the podcast. He on Sunday went one for four with a single, but he on the single did something that he did a few weeks ago. And I noted this at the time on the podcast. And if you watch the game on Masson on Sunday, Kevin Frenzen was not happy about this at all. And I don't blame Kevin one bit. Joey Manessis in the top of the six had a two out single off the left field wall. He then got thrown out by a mile at second base in his attempt to stretch the hit into a double for the third out. Now, Watching the game on TV, I could not see what Manessis was doing. But according to Franzen, Manessis did not hustle at all out of the box. He was guilty of something similar a few weeks ago. And I talked about this at the time on the podcast. August 6th, an 11-5 loss at Philadelphia. Manessis in that game, in an ads one run seventh, had a one-out single off the left field wall as he out of the box was admiring the hit as opposed to hustling. And so again, he gets a one-base hit off the wall. What did you see from Manessis on this single off the wall on Sunday?
2: Yeah, he thought it was going to be out off the bat. I wouldn't say it was an over-the-top, really slow admiring. He he was moving a little bit, and but he hit that ball so hard and it ricocheted right back to the left fielder, he had no chance. The best thing at that point, it's still not a good look, but the best thing would have just been to hold up at first base and accept the fact that you just hit a 375-foot single, as annoying and frustrating as that may be. It's possible, even if he's hustling out of the box, that he gets thrown out. That's how hard he hit it and the way it bounced to the left fielder. But make that a decision you have to make as you round first. Don't let that already be determined from the moment you hit the ball and stand there and don't hustle out of the box. I get it. You hit a ball really well. You think you might have hit it out. I don't have a problem with players admiring home runs, but you better know that it's a home run before you do that. And this is a tough ballpark to hit him out in thick, you know, uh, Southern California, humid air. So you got to know better than that. And Joey Manessa certainly <laughs> is not as accomplished of a hitter. To be able to stand there and just assume that he's going to hit home runs in the big leagues.
0: Yeah, I mean, we all love Joey Fourbags and we love the home run run that he went on. But, you know, he is Joey Manessis, Okay, Age 30 season, 10th minor league season. You know, we just talked about Nelson Cruz. Say what you want about Nelson's season. He hustles, Okay, Age 41 season, maybe a future Hall of Famer. He busts it every time out of the box. If Nelson Cruz can do that, Joey Manessis can do that. I don't like that this is now a second time that this has come up. And props to Franzen for being honest and being critical. You know, not every color commentator will do that. A lot of these color commentators are afraid to be critical. Franzen isn't. I like the work that he's doing and that he had the, uh, you know, the chutzpah to call out Manessas. And, you know, Kevin wasn't like nasty about it, but he was honest and blunt about it. That's good. I mean, as a fan, I want to see that uh, from announcers. So good job by Kevin Franzen there great job by the Nats bullpen in this series. I can't get over the work of this Nats bullpen in this series. Do you know that over the course of these four games, the only official run that the Nats bullpen allowed was the Juan Soto home run off Steve Ciszek? That was the only official run allowed by the Nats bullpen in this series you had in every game great bullpen work, including on Sunday. Two Nats relievers combining for two and two-thirds perfect innings. Hunter Harvey, one and two-thirds perfect innings. He faced Four batters, he got five outs. Uh, came into the game, bottom of the sixth, runner on first, one out. Nats down two-one on his third pitch induced an inning-ending four-six-three double play. Then tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh. Orasmo Ramirez tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth, and this was the trend throughout the series. We talk about the Nats only allowing eight runs in the series. Some of that was the starting pitching, but really the great pitching in this series was from Nats relievers. Thursday night, five Nats relievers, four scoreless innings, four strikeouts. Friday night, five Nats relievers, officially four and two thirds scoreless innings, six strikeouts. Saturday night, three Nats relievers, one run in three innings. That was a game in which Steve Cishek, in the bottom of the seventh, gave up the solo homer by Soto, and then on Sunday, two Nats relievers, two and two thirds perfect innings. There have been good series for the Nats bullpen this season. I don't know, man. This might have been the most impressive series given the opposition. This was some great work by the Nats bullpen.
2: Yeah. And the fact you were getting it from so many different guys, this wasn't just, you know, Finnegan and Edwards and that was it. It was everybody contributing. I think Victor Arano gave up a couple of uh, inherited runners that scored on him. So that's the one sort of blemish to it, not charged to him, but, you know, it was not a good outing for him. But yeah, overall, that was everything you could ask for. And It's why these games were so close late. Every single one of these games was either tied or one run, I believe, going into the ninth inning. That's all you can ask for right now out of the Nationals. And it makes you wonder, and again, it wouldn't have really mattered because this team wasn't going anywhere this year anyways, but let's just, for the sake of argument, say they were getting this kind of pitching when they had Juan Soto and Josh Bell in their lineup. What maybe could they have done? Could they have won some more games? All it's taken in these games a couple more hits at the right moment to pull these things out. Now, of course, it didn't happen. You know, no use crying over this anymore. We've moved on. But I think it's also telling that in the last two games of this series, the uh, Padres scored four runs and they came on three home runs by Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Nobody else in that lineup drove in a run the last two days. So I don't know what to make of that, except to say good job by the Nationals pitching staff top to bottom, but like you said, especially the bullpen.
0: Yeah, I mean, it may well be true the Nats caught the Padres at an opportune time. San Diego was not impressive offensively in this series, so I don't know what's going to happen with the Padres the rest of this season. I wouldn't be betting the mortgage on them, I'll tell you that much. Uh, They they did not overwhelm you watching this series. Yeah, you're right about Arano. He, in the game on Friday night, gave up that two-run double to Manny Machado, but You know, it's just so funny. I know we I know we've talked about this, but even when the Nats were good, right? We had multiple seasons in which the bullpen was a real issue. You think about 2017, you think about 2019. You if you could take this bullpen and drop it into 2017 or even 2019, like how good might those teams have ended up being. Not that this is like a great Nats bullpen, but it certainly has been capable of being great. And like you noted, it's from a variety of people. This isn't like, you know, in 17 or in 19 when you had to ultimately rely on like two or three guys, maybe four. Like this season, you're getting contributions, especially lately, from a variety of people.
2: Yeah. And let's remember, they lost their closer, Tanner Rainey, to Tommy John surgery. So he's been out of the picture. Finnegan has done a nice job stepping in there. Carl Edwards Jr., who we've praised, you know, all year long since he got up from AAA and and a guy who's going to be under contract again for next year. And I want to bring up Hunter Harvey. Maybe I'm jinxing this by pointing this out, but this guy has pitched very well, and he has stayed healthy for a decent stretch of time here now. Let's see. He's got, what, six weeks to go to finish out the year. But that would be something. If he makes it through the rest of the season healthy and pitches effectively, another guy who's going to be under team control for a while longer because he doesn't have that much major league experience— They could actually go into the offseason and go into next year with the foundation of a bullpen already in place. And that has not been the case around here in quite a while, if ever. It's a surprising situation, and it may not be the kind of thing you typically think of as being important on a rebuilding team. But if it's one less thing they have to consider this winter about how to improve, if you actually have a bullpen ready to go, it's a pretty good starting place.
0: Yeah. And you can flip all these guys. I mean, you, you know, contending teams are always looking for bullpen help. And so if you next season still aren't very good, but you have multiple relievers who are good, there's no reason you can't turn those guys into multiple prospects for you in the rebuild. You know, I know that Mike Rizzo looks at constructing a team as starting pitching is the foundation upon which you build the team. You know, I think that's great if you can do that. I think it's really hard to do that. And I think, you know, we're, as we're seeing, injuries for pitchers are just so difficult to avoid. You know, I mean, especially, I mean, you think about the Nets; They've had three guys over the last 12 months or so, maybe it's like 14 months now, need surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome. Think about that. Three. Like, that's odd, right? It's so hard to avoid injury. And so, as great as it is to say, let's build the team on starting pitching, I think that's just so tough to do. I wonder if Mike, in looking at you know, how do I go about this rebuild, and look, a lot of the rebuild is just you collect good players and see what works, and then that kind of dictates your philosophy. But if maybe moving forward, there is a more of a focus of you know, maybe we need to try to do this more of, okay, starting pitching, yeah, but we got to be more realistic about things. Try to do it with defense and a bullpen and offense, and if we get the starting pitching, great, but I don't know how replicable it is to do what you did from 12 to 19 with that great starting pitching. And keep this in mind too, the Nats enjoyed extreme durability from a lot of those starting pitchers during those years. Max Scherzer was durable. Gio Gonzalez was durable. Unless I'm forgetting, wasn't Jordan Zimmerman durable? I don't recall him suffering major injuries or anything like that.
2: Yeah, not until he left them and wound up in Detroit. Then he had all kinds of injuries that ruined his career. But in D.C., as much of a workhorse as you're ever going to get.
0: So Steven Strasburg got hurt, we know, but it wasn't just that the Nats had starting pitching excellence. The Nats excelled from a starting pitching durability standpoint. Man, I don't know how you can do that again. That is really hard to do. So if you can do it with the bullpen, do it with defense, I think that's probably a more realistic approach.
2: It may be. I can just tell you, I think Rizzo still deep down believes in the power of starting pitching. Is that where it all begins? Yes, he doesn't want to have a bad bullpen. He'd love to have a deep, good bullpen. But I think he still believes that give him three good quality starting pitchers who can at least go five or six innings, that that is ultimately your best path to success. And that's what he's going to try to create now with Mackenzie Gore Cade Cavalli, Josiah Gray, and maybe some others that eventually get here. It it will be interesting, though, because it is sort of a bygone era, the Max Scherzer seven-inning, 115-pitch guy. You don't see a lot of them being developed that way anymore. So because we're talking about young guys who are, in theory, going to be the future of this rotation, maybe they do take more of a, hey, give us five or six tops, Innings. We're going to keep you at about 100 pitches. And then if you actually have the bullpen depth, go about it that way. So maybe that's a slight difference, but I don't think you're ever going to see a Mike Rizzo team be okay, we're going openers and we're going to bullpen this thing. We're going to pull the starter at the first sign of trouble. Don't let him face a lineup a third time ever. I don't think you're going to see that. That's just not his mindset. Right or wrong, the man owns two World Series rings. And they came with the 2001 Diamondbacks, the 2019 Nationals, and the thing those two teams had in common were two aces at the top of the rotation. Randy Johnson, Curt Schilling, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg. He still believes that's the best way to win.
0: I think it's a perfectly acceptable way to win. I think it is an increasingly difficult way to win. I think it's a very tough road to pave, especially now with the way pitchers are, with the way pitchers get hurt. I just think it's really tough. That he's done it twice already is impressive enough. I don't know that he's going to do it a third time, but God bless him, man. I'm hoping uh, that it does work out in that way. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The way I take care of my mind
1: is daily exercise. It is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. It
0: feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than
1: in-person therapy. And you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking.
0: Our listeners get 10 percent off their first month at BetterHelp.com/NatsChat. That's BetterH.E.L.P.com/NatsChat. Patrick pitched really well. I'll take those outings from him. Last two outings, I, I thought he pitched well. So it was all our offense today. We had no offense. Well, the Nats starting pitcher on Sunday was Patrick Corbin. And uh, Corbin was, you know, he was okay. I I mean, you know, with Corbin at this point, it's like if he's not horrendous, you say, okay, you know, fine. Uh, And he wasn't horrendous on Sunday. Two runs in five and a third innings. He gave up nine hits, a homer, a double and seven singles. He issued two walks. He recorded three strikeouts. Uh, He, over his five and a third innings, threw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls, 97 pitches, 56 strikes versus 41 balls. He had five scoreless innings. He did then give up two runs in the bottom of the six, a lead-off first pitch double by Brandon Drury to the left center field gap, followed by a two-run opposite field homer by Josh Bell to right field for a two-one Padres lead. You just knew that Bell was gonna go on a tear now. We know how it is with him. He's ice cold and then he's white hot. He homered on Saturday night to get out of his funk, and then he homers again on Sunday. I don't think anyone who's a Nats fan. We're surprised by that. You know, Davey Martinez during his postgame session with you guys, I know, talked about how Corbin has looked better since uh, the greatest bullpen session in the history of bullpen sessions. And, you know, Corbin has been better over these last two starts. It's all relative, though. But he yeah, had two runs in five and a third innings on Sunday. Okay. I mean, it wasn't six runs in a third of an inning. So you take that if you're the Nets.
2: It's a step in the right direction. Doesn't mean anything is fixed or that this is a sign that he's turned a major corner here. I mean, he was fortunate, I think, to get through this one without giving up anything else. The first inning, he throws 30 pitches, only 15 of them strikes. He puts three guys on base, gets out of it, without anybody scoring because he did strike out Bell in that at-bat. But he gave up at least one hit in every single inning he pitched. The pitch count was way up there, 75 pitches through four scoreless innings. How often do you see that combination? Hardly ever. So I think it was a little bit fortunate to get to the sixth as good a shape as he was, and you did start to see some harder contact. You saw Soto line a ball to the warning track in his third at-bat. You saw Brandon Drew redouble the lead off the sixth, then, of course, the bell home run. So, yeah, he's pitching at a professional level that gives you a chance, and that's way better than we've seen of him uh, for the majority of the season here. However, you still look at the bottom line, and the bottom line is this. Patrick Corbin is four and seventeen with a 6.81 ERA. Looked at this today, there have been 34 big leaguers who have lost 17 or more games since 2001. None of them finished with an ERA over six. For Corbin to get his under six, he's going to have to pitch lights out the rest of the way, and that's assuming they let him finish out the year and that you know tempt fate with 20 losses. We haven't gotten there yet, but we're getting closer. He's three away now, and it's still what August 20th. So good that he's getting better, but a long way to go still to get back to where they think he needs to be.
0: Do you think him flirting with 20 losses would be the thing to have him taken out of the rotation for the rest of the season? I think that that would be hysterical, that of all of the things that ultimately get him out of the Nats rotation, the fact that he could get to 20 losses in a season would be that thing. Do you think that that would compel the Nats to take him out of the rotation this season?
2: I think it'll be a conversation they have. Now, I don't know if that will be a team-made conversation or one that they have with him. And maybe they say to him, hey, Patrick, what do you want to do? You know, we don't want to put you in a spot that you're not comfortable being in because this is something that's going to be attached to your name for a long time if it happens. And then maybe he says, yeah, you know what? I don't want to do that. Or maybe he says, no, I'm going out there and pitching every fifth day. I'm going to give it my all. And if it happens, so what? It happens. It happens. It's been a long time since anyone's been in this position. Mike Marath of the Tigers in 2003, the last one to do it. I'll be interested, but I would, am- I don't think they're just going to ignore that fact. I think there will be a point here, whether it's after 18th or after the 19th loss, where they will have a conversation and say, how are we going to proceed with this? My guess is they would leave it more in Corbin's hands than just make it unilaterally.
0: Well, we did have rotation news for the Nats on Sunday. Uh, so the Nats do not have a game on Monday. Next up for them is a two-game series series at the Seattle Mariners and game one at the Mariners late night on Tuesday night at ten ten will have Eric Fetty as an ad starting pitcher. He is in fact coming off the fifteen day injured list. He has been on that since July 30th, retroactive to the twenty seventh due to right shoulder inflammation. And the Nats are removing Corey Abbott from their rotation. So we are not seeing a six-man rotation. We are not seeing, say, Anibal Sanchez or Paolo Espino being removed from the rotation. The Nats had options here. Uh, what do you think ultimately drove them to go with the five-man rotation but pull Abbott and not say somebody else?
2: Well, this is just for now, I think, is the key. They have some off days coming up, two of them, one on Monday and then another one on Thursday. It's only a two-game series in Seattle. That's going to give them this ability to completely reset their rotation however they want to do it. So Abbott's available in the bullpen now. That doesn't mean he couldn't come back to the rotation here at some point. Also doesn't mean they couldn't option him to AAA. Somebody's going to have to go down when Fetty is called up, whether that's a reliever or whether it's a starter. And if it's a starter, Abbott is probably the one that would – have that happen to him. So maybe he was just available out of the bullpen for this one day and he won't still be there come Tuesday in Seattle. I don't know. They've got some decisions to make. They're gonna stick with Annabal, who has pitched better the last couple times. So you say, all right, stick with it. Let him pitch on Wednesday. But then another off day and decide what you want to do next weekend when they get home. And we've mentioned it. I think we have to continue to point out that there's a possibility Cade Cavalli is involved in all this in some capacity. His next start could be Friday, either in D.C. for the Nationals, or somewhere else. I think it would be Indianapolis, uh, where Rochester is. So we'll see how that figures into it. But definitely some rotation decisions coming up here. Because of the off days, I don't think you go six-man because everybody would get too many days off at that point. But let's also point out they could decide to skip Josiah Gray's turn as they try to monitor his inning. So a lot of different ways they could go with this, and I think they're still deciding how they're going to approach it. But the rotation a week from now, could have a very different look than what we've seen here, actually.
0: And one more thing, uh, Luis Garcia is on the mend. He's been out with this groin injury. He's going to begin a minor league rehab assignment, and it sounds like uh, he'll be activated sooner rather than later, right?
2: Yeah, so he is on his way to Indianapolis now. We'll play for sure Tuesday and Wednesday for Rochester on the road, potentially play Thursday if he thinks he needs it. And the plan, barring any setbacks, would be that he rejoins them on Friday and is activated, and so we'll get our first glimpse of the new middle infield combo of Abrams at short, Garcia at second. Luis is genuinely excited for that. He's embraced this idea of moving back to second base. He's good with it. He understands it. And I think they feel like it, you know, for a variety of reasons, could benefit him. They think his throwing motion, he likes to drop down when he throws a little bit, easier to do that from second base. Not as long of a throw to make. They feel the footwork. Everything else should be better. Let's see. I don't know that he's going to be a good second baseman, but I think he causes less damage to you in the field there than he would at shortstop. Abrams, you see little mistakes here and there, but I still do like what I see overall. They turned a few double plays this weekend that I thought to myself, those are smooth double plays that we have not seen a lot of from this team this year. That's a nice thing to see, and I would imagine it should be even smoother, ideally, with Abrams and Garcia turning him.
0: Well, I don't think that it's necessarily coincidental that the Nats pitching has been better lately. And the left side of your infield is the best it has been defensively all season with Ildemar Vargas now as the every game third baseman and CJ Abrams now as the every game shortstop. You know, I don't know that you can just directly make that correlation, but I think it's hard to ignore the timing of all of this, that you have range at Certainly on the left side of the infield, the right side of the infield is a little sketchier. Luke Voigt is a defensive liability, I think, at first base. But you're getting, especially at shortstop, play that you have not had this season. First with Alcides Escobar, then with Luis Garcia and you know, if Garcia hits the ground running at second base, and, you know, I pointed this out, he did have plus two defensive runs saved at second base last season. You know, maybe, just maybe, you start to see the formation of an infield defense that isn't terrible, you know, that actually can convert balls in play into outs, and you can start to see some good things here. But it has been nice to see that, you know, you're seeing defense on the left side of the infield, the likes of which you have not seen for most of this season from the Nets.
2: I do think it goes hand-in-hand with what we've seen from the pitching. I think it could be even better. Corbin gave up some ground ball singles up the middle in this game that other guys may have had a better shot at making a play. So I do think it is something that has gone hand-in-hand with the improved pitching, and you hope that it continues to get better.
0: You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, natschatpodcast.com at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Nats Chat Podcast. Subscribing costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Three hits in the inning for Tennessee. They had three in the first five. This ball is driven, and it is a
3: Nashville lead! Robert Hassel, two-run, home run, 6-5 in the sixth.